You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Our regulars know that sound. The touch tones mean that it is time for us to hear from you. During our Straight Talk segment, 877-795-0122 is that toll-free number that you can call. Also, feel free to leave a question on our uh, messages uh, for on our Facebook page for Real Presence Radio. So there are a number of different things that we are uh, going to be discussing, but we really do want to hear from you, and so we're looking forward to your call, 877-795-0122. Okay, so Father Gross... Uh, on the local, super local level, the Conference of Bishops of the United States, they're all getting together. I think as we speak here, they're having their... Their annual uh, session out in Baltimore, I believe, or... In, in Baltimore, because it's the original see yes. of, of the United States, mm-hmm. and that's why so it has historical precedence. And I was just looking through the agenda and things. Well, so they've uh, elected a new president, right? Yes, the Archbishop of the Military Services, uh, Timothy Brolio. I'm glad, easy for you to say. <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, Archbishop Lori, I think, was like, the vice president. Okay, mm-hmm. and they serve three-year terms on that. Right. So. Uh, Archbishop Lori, also for our Knights of Columbus listeners, is the Supreme Chaplain, so he may be familiar to you for that. But here's reason. something to our local listeners that is really exciting. Yes. On their agenda and what took place. Okay, so it says here, the U.S. bishops affirm advancement of the cause of beatification and canonization of servant of God... Michelle Dupont. Fantastic. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Yes, yes. There's been a lot of news from uh, the Bismarck Diocese on that end. In fact, I think on All Saints Day, one of the masses at the cathedral was the opening of that uh, cause uh, you know, uh, by uh, Bishop Kagan. So um, a young lady who passed away uh, from cancer at the age of 31, I believe, 30-31, on Christmas Day back in 2015. And here's the inside inside the ball uh inside baseball inside baseball (laughs) right the um i and i'm i'm aware because i know the family and is involved a little bit there there actually is another local person that they're looking at that uh bishop kagan's looking at and they're collecting the evidence right now to promote a, a a young man who who died from cancer and so uh there is there is another one that is afoot in the Bismarck Diocese, and we just kind of hold that. I won't say who it is, but just generally in prayer uh, for that family and what's going on there. And um, it's pretty pretty exciting. And I I knew the, knew him personally. He's a very inspiring young man who uh, offered his life through his sufferings. And so, wow. um, yeah. So it's isn't it great to hear? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't these. The, this stuff inspires me, you know. Building the, up and, and telling the stories of sanctity of families, that's really what is at the heart and the foundation of so many other things with regard to parish life, as we'll be talking about next hour, and also vocations to so the priesthood, because that's where these vocations come, whether it be the priesthood or consecrated religious life, our brother uh, Benedictine monks and, and Benedictine sisters in numerous uh, communities throughout our listening area. Yeah, eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two is that number, and so yes, that's an event that's happening liturgically. We are toward the end of the liturgical year. Uh, Saint Elizabeth of Hungary, uh, her memorial is today. Someone who only for having lived for two and a half decades 
packed like twice as much life into that it's it's unbelievable you know you look at her she came out of her teenage years as a a, a wife and a mother of small children whose husband died and so she dedicated the rest of her life as a um a third order lay affiliate of this relatively new movement of franciscans in the early 1200s there's a great story where her father-in-law was uh deeply aggrieved by her generosity and giving things away and she was walking along with um, a basket filled with loaves from the bakery and he was going to catch her in the act and so he stopped her in the courtyard and demanded that she show him what was in her basket and when they pulled the towel away it was filled with flowers and and roses and it kind of confounded him because he's like well what can I say about this? (laughs) You're giving flowers away? (laughs) (laughs) Yes and then we also have um, and I want to be careful to recite this correctly because there is an official title this Sunday the Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. For simplicity's sake, I refer to it as Christ the King Sunday, but uh, that there, there's the the official title as well. So we're looking forward to that this weekend. And, and not to get too egg-heady on it or this kind of thing, but it it it, it exposes how and about time, our relationship with time, and a lot of people don't. I don't know if they think about it, but I invite you to think about that. Time is actually a creature. It's, it's a creature. It was created by God. And there's going to come a time when time is going to end. You know, um, and, I, and I look at this and you see, so at this moment, like the Feast of Christ the King, we're, we're celebrating both the end of time and the beginning of eternal things. And so this is the, the appropriate time to end our liturgical year and then begin uh, the next year, the cycle. So time is both linear and cyclical, uh, you know, as it goes. And, I, and, and actually there, um, again, I, I just invite people to reflect on God's gift of time, to think about it this way, like, if, if you think about it in conjunction with the original sin, where through the original sin we were, were separated from the face-to-face relationship with God and the, the divine spirit, um, and, and it's like, you know, God loves us so much, he says, I'm only, only going to allow you to be separated from me for this much time. I won't, I won't let you be separated from me eternally. There's going to come this face-to-face moment. And so you think about it personally, like each one of us, we have so many minutes, so many, you know, so many weeks, so many days, so many years, you know, God knows how long that is, but we, the, the, the actual end of time, or for us personally, you can think about it, say death. Mm -hmm. Um, it's actually God's mercy. Like he will only let us suffer so long. He'll only let us be separated from him so long. There's going to come this moment where we come face to face with him. And I, I know a lot of people, like when they hear that, they think, you know, judgment, of course, where so they, they, they kind of, they're afraid or it scares yes. them or terrifies them. And, and again, I would ask you consider the opposite, that your, the depth of your soul, the longing of your being is to see God face to face. You were created by God to see him face to face. Your soul, your whole being will never be happy until you actually see God face to face. That the, like everything you do in this life, that as you're seeking and searching, what you're really seeking and searching for is the face to face relationship with God. And, and, and God has it set up that you are going to have that. You are going to experience. So, you know, instead of looking at it as like this, oh no, this is terrible, I don't want this to happen, but rather, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come, you know, do not delay, come quickly. Um, I'm, de- I'm designed and created by God to see him face to face. Please uh, allow the fullness of time to come to, to end with, with the idea that I get to enter the presence of God face to face. And that's why, you know, Christ, the gospel, why did he give us the gospel? To get us prepared. 
to see God face to face. That it, this does not have to be scary, doom and gloom stuff. This, mm-hmm. this it, again, it all depends how you want to look at it, how you want to approach it. Um, but we're we're given, un, unlike the angels, we're given mm-hmm. time for first word Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of God is yeah. at hand. Repent. Get prepared to see the see love face to face. Right. Personally, this is stoking the fires for the season of Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, and so there are seeds that could very well come out in my homilies. You know, for the first uh, couple of Sundays of Advent. So thank you very much, Father, for sharing that. Once again, our number eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two for our straight talk segment. There are a couple of questions that have been submitted to us. I think uh, I want to take this first one here. Just to look at, as we were visiting with Nancy and Father Slattery regarding uh, the novel Frankenstein, and you think about how around this, or at least last month with Halloween and that time of year, a lot of major movie studios put out these horror schlock movies and people, you know, really get into these various things like that. There have been all sorts of series, you know, of various uh, characters and movies. What is the Christian perspective on watching severely violent graphic movies? The first thing that I think of is that what would happen to you if all you ate was junk food day after day after day? Well, so. you just look at my body. Oh, come now. This is what would happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was meaning you in a rhetorical oh, oh, sense, oh, gotcha, not gotcha. in an accusatory <laughs> sense, Father. Please, be, please let's be clear about that. But, uh, you know, what I, basically that's kind of the first thought that comes to my mind is that, um, you know, we are called upon to nourish ourselves with um, robust, uh, healthy fare in all different senses, not just physically, right? Right. You know, and, and, and again, so I, like, so questions like this coming, you know, I'd, I'd sit here and say, like, what what is the object or the purpose of of doing such a thing? Like like a, a Jason like, Voorhees or Freddy Krueger like or exposing, these characters, no. yeah. And, and some people, you know, I, so I've asked people, and some people will say, like, well, I, I love the thrill of being scared. Irving Turner, and there literally are like scare junkies. They mm-hmm. they get you know they get this huge experience off of being terrified or scared or this, yeah. this kind of a thing, um, and and so like so you could uh, you could objectively look at this and you could say okay I understand it's a movie it's all made up the horn things that are going on they're not real they're just you know this is just a, you know you can do that kind of disassociation thing and and watch something like this but but what I would say it, it's no different than like. Um, Say like uh, playing with a Ouija board or reading your horoscope or these these different in, in this sense that all the way evil works it it just it needs an invitation into you and so it, for example I might not have any faith or belief in the Ouija board but somebody says hey let's sit down and let's just play with the Ouija board my act of placing my fingers on that board and going and just going through even though I don't believe that is a physical and tan- tangible invitation to a spirit saying, mm-hmm. hey, I've just opened yeah. my door or my window or my blinds or come on in. It may just be a material or... cooperation, but it's enough. Yeah. Right. And so I, and I'd say like watching, a, and then the question is severe, violent, graphic movie. What, what you're doing there, you are literally opening your, some of the most intimate parts of your person, your imagination. Your, your memory, your spiritual faculties, all the higher parts of your being mm-hmm. to, to these images, these sounds, the, these memories. And, and look, they've done studies on this. You, you don't actually have to be um, violently attacked to experience trauma. You can, and this is why I like to say, take something like 
pornography, for example, why it is so horrible for any person, but especially a young child, to be exposed to it, they've revealed that a child being exposed to this graphic, pornographic mm -hmm, images and so mm -hmm. forth, they're traumatized equally as a child who has experienced such things. So yeah. I, I would say, okay, so you take this, even as an adult, if you're going to watch these, again, severely violent graphic movie, it's going to traumatize you. It's the, that being scared or terrified, it traumatizes your heart, your soul in a certain way. And so it's, it's like saying, why would you subject yourself to that? And, and then there are spirits attached to these things. It's, it's an invitation for um, a, a spiritual influence to come into your life and get a hold of you. It's there, and right. those spirits, they, they act like tapeworms or whatever, different mm -hmm. parasites. They, they yeah. will live off your imagination. They right. will affect you mm -hmm. in that spiritual realm. So it, yeah. I, I wouldn't, you're not going to receive a blessing from me to say, exactly. oh yeah, go ahead and, and watch these things and don't worry about it, because th there are consequences to exposing yeah. yourself to such yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, life is too short to, to bog ourselves down with uh, garbage, you know, when it comes to things like that is kind of what is one of the things that I think of. 877 is the number. We have several different questions coming in, not necessarily with callers on the line, but important things to address. This next one has to do with the season of Advent. I know Lent is the primary one that speaks of of a penitential character, but there is a certain somberness in Advent, you know, with the use of the violet, I was going to say violent, uh, <laughs> the, the violet-colored vestments and, and the fact that we are anticipating the Lord's coming and, you know, to, in this watchfulness and things like that. Um, where do you kind of personally stand with regard to Advent penance? Are there certain go-tos pastorally that you recommend people do during the course of that season? Sure. You know, it's a good question, and it, it's worth talking about. I I would take the one trigger word in that question that strikes me is, is it sinful to, uh, you know, not honor, honor some sort so of Advent penance? What's, it triggers me because like when, when you, it, it's kind of like when you ask questions like that, it's like, uh, sir, when did you stop beating your wife? You know, like when you're asking, yeah, like, you right. Know, it, 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 Leading. It's, it's, <laughs> right. So in other words, like the, the question itself is set up to, to you're going to fail in however you respond. Like, yeah. in other words, it's, it, it set you up that you're either going to succeed or fail and, and you're either going to be a good boy or a bad boy. And so I, I always like, uh, anyway, I, I, sure. I react because I, I, I want to phrase it differently. Like w what I want to say is instead of looking at it as it's sinful, because then it turns your relationship to God into like a duty. Like yeah. you're either performing for God or not. And I, I would rather turn it into a relationship with God. Like, mm -hmm. so, okay, so let's look at this then. The, the se so the big season where this all comes from, um, okay, another step back even. As Christians, the way Christ has revealed himself and taught us, he, he always, there's always a season of preparation for the glory to come. This is always this is consistent in his life, his Paschal mystery. And so liturgically, we approach things that way. There, there's always the vigil before the feast. There's always the uh, cleaning the house before you have the party. You can think of it that way. So all of our liturgical seasons, even on a regular Sunday, like we, I, growing up, we had Saturday, we cleaned the calf pens, cleaned the house, went to confession before we went to Mass on Sundays. The, this was in my my DNA as a, as a family that we grew up. It was a very Catholic approach. Th so the big season, Lent. Lent is the big, this is the 40 days preparation for the great yeah. feast, Easter. What do you give up, you know, how, what sacrifices do you make? Right? Okay, so then we look down, so the second great uh, celebration for, for Christians is the birth, the nativity, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, um, and there's themes of the Paschal Mystery in that birth that's going on as well. Okay, but... Um, it is a different celebration than the resurrection. 
and so we have what's like a mini Lent or a smaller. You can see in the number of days, it's shorter in the, the approach and all this. So they talk about this is the, it's a joyful season of penance. That, that's, that's one of the terms you'll, you'll mm-hmm. hear. And so there really is, there really is a need emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, intellectually, and physically to get yourself ready for the birth. So if, if you just think on a natural level, like a couple, they're experiencing the birth of their, their first child. What are they going to be doing, Father Gross, to get ready for that first child? Make sure that they've got diapers, that they have the nursery prepared. and uh, yeah, yeah, so the house is going to change. Your relationship, if you've got pets, is going to change. Your finances are going to change. I mean, you're, you're literally adjusting. Your time is going to change. You're, I mean, and you're doing all kinds of things to get ready for this mm-hmm. thing that's going to come and be very demanding. So the season of Advent is the same. The birth of Christ is coming into our lives. What do we need to do? How do we need to get ready to receive him so that he has a welcome place in us? And so that is going to involve some type of, okay, if you want to use the word penance, but corrective measures or changing measures so that Christ, this child, can have his way with us yeah. when he arrives. A lot of people will do things like what we do here at our parish here in Grand Forks with a Jesse Tree project where they think of particular um, charitable needs in the community and they think, well, you know, we can give something to people who are less fortunate than we are, you know, so that might be one way. But yeah, I like the idea of changing things up and also um, culturally speaking, when we live in a country where you're listening to advertisements, you're shopping in stores, Chris Christmas has begun, essentially, and especially next week, you know, you're going to be hearing commercials with the ding, dee, dee, ding, ding, dee, dee, ding, you know, the carol of the bells. And 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 this is where, like... So there's really no room for Advent in that mentality. Well, I'd say, like, even as as priests, as parish communities and so forth, we we really could make a better effort ourselves with the language we use and what we do. So, for example, uh, how many of us as as staffs, we're going to have Christmas parties, but it's an Advent, you know? And I always encourage people, well... There's a whole Christmas season afterwards. Why can't we have the Christmas party during Christmas? You know, yeah. so even psychologically and emotionally, we're, we're celebrating the thing before it actually happens. Like, mm-hmm. And again, you bring it to the natural. Well, can you actually celebrate the birth of the child before the child is there? And here would be a practical thing as a priest. Like people will approach me and they'll say, hey, Father, we're expecting our child and blah, blah, blah. We'd, we'd like to do our, our baptism class now, whatever. Well, I learned the hard way. That's not a good practice. And I, I, always, I always tell them, Let's actually, we're going to do, when the child is born, you contact me. I'm clearing out a spot on my calendar for after the child's born, and then we'll deal with it. And again, why, did, why, why have I learned that? Because unfortunately things happen. There might be a stillbirth or something. Different things can happen before the birth of that child. It's actually the birth of the child that sets all these things in motion. We can do things to prepare in advance, but... Um, there, there, there's certain things that don't happen until after the fact. Same thing with Christmas. So it is a penitential time in the sense of pre- preparation for the joy yeah. that's coming, the expectation. Very good. We'll give this number one more time here. We have about 10 minutes left in our segment, 877-795-0122 for Straight Talk. Uh, I want to take uh, this uh, one here um, on the on the screen about a Saturday evening nuptial mass counting for your Sunday obligation. And I want to speak to this from my own personal background and, and experience um, that, uh, let's say, if you have a wedding mass on a Saturday, under what circumstances would 
would it fulfill your Sunday Mass obligation if you attend that wedding? Now, in the parishes that I, you know, grew up in, there was a cult, there was an agricultural um, element to the anticipated Sunday Mass. So it was at 8 p.m. It was not mid or late afternoon or that sort of thing. So what would happen is that oftentimes weddings could be within a wide window of time on a Saturday. They could certainly be 4 or 5 p.m. And according to the general stipulation in canon law that, you know, an evening vigil around 4 p.m. would be the earliest that you could consider that time in terms of the canonical requirement. So there would be a question, okay, now does this count for Sunday and stuff? Now, with the way our schedule is and virtually every other parish in a larger community, um, the latest a wedding could happen maybe like 2 or 2.30 p.m. or that sort of thing. Well, it's really out of the question for that time to be something that fulfills a Sunday obligation. But I, I can imagine how a lot of people who don't have you know, that Catholic background or sensibility can't really understand that because, well, it's Saturday. It's not Sunday morning. What are you talking about? So what's your right. reaction right. So to that? You brought up a huge the time factor. So that, that has to do with sundown and all that. So that's that's essential. That mm-hmm. one has to be taken into consideration. Uh, the, the next thing is this is if you are going to try... So maybe, let's say, there might be reasons why you wanted to do this. There's a large family or something contingent, something travel the next day this kind of thing so you approach the priest and say hey we what what do we need to do to make this the wedding actually fulfill the sunday obligation and we mm-hmm. want we mm-hmm. want to accomplish this well the, the number one thing is to realize is this the the sunday liturgy takes precedence so what you're doing is you're incorporating the nuptial uh, celebration into a sunday wedding Right. So canonically, that's the approach it's going to be. It's, so it's so your wedding is actually subservient to the Sunday. So just so people realize that time thing, it has to be after four o'clock. Then the then the next thing is the the Sunday liturgy takes precedence. So the prayers and and readings and all this. And I think they give room for one one reading, not the gospel, but one of the other readings can be chosen with a theme of marriage or something mm-hmm. in there that you can put in. Yeah. And so the nuptial blessing would take place within that, but you're good, mm-hmm. the liturgy itself is going to be like a Sunday liturgy is what you're going to... Right, right. So that. the essential parts would still happen with the rite of marriage and the exchange of the vows and the blessing of the rings and then the nuptial blessing following the Lord's Prayer. But in, one, like in that example that you brought up, Father, what would happen then, let's say, if the parish's Saturday evening mass would be the wedding, you know, it, the wedding is not the, the primary thing, it's within the framework of that and so a couple may decide well it's not just about the practicality of fulfilling the Sunday obligation but sharing in this event with our community of faith because unfortunately and I'm seeing this more and more if there are couples that are getting married they don't even have much of a tangential connection to the community of the parish church where they're getting married and so it's kind of like they're swooping in maybe and swooping out again that's not a healthy way for for it to be there should be more of a you know kind of an organic connection to the to the parish community and, you, and you're, you're touching on something that we're going to touch in a later segment about evangelization and the right. really really christian maturity understanding what why we have our parish and our sacraments and all this and what the parish is about which is so key but i think here's another thing to think about it which again i always invite people to think of the positive way instead of the negative way Father Gross, isn't it awesome that the church makes room and allows marriage to p- take place on a Sunday? See, if, if you think it that way, because Christ is the eternal bridegroom, and 
the church is the bride. So every single liturgy is a nuptial union that's taking mm-hmm. place, and you're coming to the altar. And so the church could easily say, um, canonically, we're going to forbid weddings on Sundays because Sundays take the precedence. You know, but but they look there and they say, wait a minute, this is a celebration of the nuptial union, mm-hmm. and. And honestly, I mean, I could see a really beautiful thing happening if the couple is truly evangelized. They truly understand what's going on. And they'd say, they'd come to you and say, hey, Father Gross, we understand our faith and what it's all about. And it and Sunday Mass reflects our union with one another. And we want to participate in that greater union with our nuptial vows. You know, and I have had an experience like that one time with a couple. And, and it was it was a beautiful thing. And the whole parish community was involved. Yeah. And it, it was a powerful, powerful a beautiful witness and expression of yeah mar- definitely something mass. that we'd like yeah. to to build up to yes yes indeed so our prayers go out to engaged couples uh, who happen to be listening and families with uh, children uh, who are engaged in preparing for the sacrament of matrimony um, one last thing here we just have a couple of minutes a question came in to us about what the church teaches regarding uh, smoking cigarettes I guess you could talk about nicotine all sorts of different tobacco products and things like that I know a friend of mine told a story about how it was a nearly scandalous thing when they saw their parish priest when they were young children standing behind a building and smoking is like oh that's doesn't he know that's not good for him you know that sort of thing so it comes down to it comes down to the whole issue of moderation doesn't it well you see a big smile on my face as you're asking the question the reason i'm smiling is it if you think about this like smoking is the last um american sin you know like like you think about our culture just broadly like there, there's certain things that that culturally we accept or we don't accept, but mm-hmm. at, at some point smoking became like it, it's the worst possible thing that you could do as a human being from our cultural perspective yeah, at this yeah. time in history. Right. Like oh, abortion isn't. Oh no no no. You know culturally abortion needs to be provided and or, or, you know killing a child. No no that's not a bad thing. But but smoke somehow our our hierarchy of evils or whatever has gotten disordered or just you know out of out of line kind of a thing. So. You know, historically, there, there's all kinds of reasons why um, inhaling things are, it's actually medicinal. There could be good things. For, I mean, you think about sure. um, in, in the military when these guys are out there fighting on the line and they've just had this horrible experience and the, the battle calms down. What's the first thing that, the, that they, hey, buddy, here, have a cigarette. You know, why, why are they offering a cigarette? Well, because it calms you down from this horrendous experience that you've you've just had so mm-hmm. so actual smoking itself is not an evil in itself right you know um, so just so people understand that and then it comes to what you said father gross about yeah yeah i mean we're we're not of a puritanical sort you know yeah. when, when when we look at these things it's not as though we're saying you know things just in and of themselves are verboten it's a matter of you know how how a person you know and where the, kind of liturgically where this will touch off is like i've you know i like i like to use incense i and it's not just about liking it. it i'd go beyond it's i think actually using incense is i won't use the word essential but it's near near essential to worship of god you know i've had people come to me and say father you can't use incense because it's like smoking you're you're destroying our lungs and so forth so mm-hmm. there there really is something there to look at yeah think yeah about, so. you know the 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 most prominent uh, protest that i hear is you know allergic reactions but uh, that that's another matter entirely for another straight talk segment perhaps <laughs> so in our next hour when we come back We'll be visiting with a priest in his new book, reflecting on the gifts and responsibility of the priesthood. More about this after the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. 